Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery. This episode is sponsored by PDMA. They've asked for a series of these because I'm at a conference with them. That is the Product Development and Management Association. PDMA is a global community of professional members whose skills, expertise, and experience power the most recognized and respected innovative companies in the world. PDMA is also the longest-running professional association for product managers, leaders, and innovators, having started in 1976. And I've been a member now for a little more than a decade, I guess about 16 years actually, and really find the resources and the network valuable. Enjoy the conference as well. Learn more about them at pdma.org. And as I have been invited to the conference doing some interviews, I'm with another speaker who spoke on the topic, Three Ways to Escape Gut Feeling and Boost Innovation Rapidly to Markets. And the topic is about techniques to increase the innovation success rate. For example, by applying lean innovation, you can speed up development by up to 60% and increase profitability by 31%. Ulrika Lobner-Kelleher is with us, and Ulrika is a sought-after mentor, educator, and presenter on the topics of product management, innovation, and teams' efficiency. She helps product teams get ahead of their competitors by finding innovations quickly and developing and launching complex hardware and software products on time. As always, listeners, if you want a written summary of everything we discuss, along with a one-page action guide to help you immediately put into action the key takeaways that Ulrika shares with us, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 455. Ulrika, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Chad. Pleasure to be here. We've been hanging out at this conference and hearing some good information, and you've been sharing some good information as well to help us product people and innovators do a better job. So we're going to dive into a few of those topics from your presentation. And one method you shared was called KuCoCo. Maybe you pronounce it differently, but for getting market-driven data to make product decisions quickly. Can you take us through this method? Absolutely, absolutely. So KuCoCo is actually the abbreviation for customer context and company. It is much easier to remember KuCoCo than strategic analysis that you have to do. And so I created this KuCoCo method. I have to do it. And once you've done it, you say, KuCoCo, I got it. Right. I'm happy to walk you through that. So KuCoCo for market-driven analysis is very important because with many clients and with all my experience that I have across industry, I've seen that a lot of data is missing for several reasons. People don't have time. They don't know how to do that correctly. Nobody tells them what they have to do. So KuCoCo is a a method really to empower product managers to find the right data. And first of all, there is a customer that we should talk about. If we make innovations, then we should have innovation that makes sense, that fulfill a purpose for a customer in B2B and B2C. So the customer is the one who tells us about their problems and we are, it's our job to find the right solutions for them, to think about it, make brainstorming, find the right solutions. So I keep it with Henry Ford. If I would ask the customer about what they want to have, they would like to have faster horses, right? But it's not about just talk to customer. It is about the right set of questions. So when I talk to my clients and advise them how they should go with talking to customers, then I really give them a set of questions 
and as a guidance that they can follow when they talk to their customers. It's a product manager who goes out there, the business development, and with a set of questions, they get the answers really that are used for setting up the product strategy. They are get answers for the development and the marketing. So we get a whole clarity on what is needed and what we face with many companies out there. It doesn't matter small or big or which industry is, that this clarity is missing. So they start with a product and don't know who is a market segment or they have a smart idea and just start to develop it. And then they are at the end and find out, so what are the USPs? And this is the time they go back and say, oh, we have to talk to the customers. And I said, start first with the customer and find out what is the problem, what is the unique situation. And there are several customers we need to talk to, whether the existing customer, the evaluator, and they are somewhere in the future. So the set of questions that we equip the product managers with a question really helps to find a clarity on the persona, the buyer persona, the user persona, and the one is needed for development and the one is needed for marketing. The other aspect is the problem and situation that you can answer with it. And then very important is the more interviews you do, you see the priority of the problems. You got already a prioritization of the requirements that are made from that. And everyone who has really done this priority sessions, there are hundreds of hours with a lot of people just spent on this. So this customer interview helps you really prioritize the requirements. And then finally, you get your four piece. You know where the promotion, the pricing, you can derive it from that. And also the sales channels and all then the marketing channels. Very important not to do that in the end, to know upfront where is your customer buying the product and where is the informing themselves. It's a, it's not like a watering can, what we see often in marketing. I do flyers, I do brochures, I do go on conferences and I take my sales stuff and they go to the customers and let's do a little bit Google ads, do a little bit from everything. What we do with our set of questions, we find out, oh, I'm only doing Bing search and I'm only reading this magazine and I'm only reading it online. So we know exactly where the customer is and spend the money there. And this is the way we can save a lot of money just with talking to the customers constantly and different customers. So this is the CU, the coup of the but before we move on to contacts and company, what are some questions, the favorite questions to help get this started? The favorite question when I start with is, what is your typical day look like? And this could be used in business to business and business to consumer. And why is this good? It serves like a bridge to make the customer start talking, facilitating, because they know their day very well. And then when they start to talk about it, then they say what is good, what is not very good. And then you dive deeper and follow the other questions. Okay. Good. So a good place to start. Get them starting to tell a story from their experience. I have a lot of stories. Yes. Okay. So we need to understand the customer. Correct. Yes. And people like to talk. So they share a lot of information. Excellent. Yes. Yeah, so the second part of the Kukoko method is the context. 
and the context that is surrounding our company, our product. So when I talk about the context, it is, first of all, what comes in mind is the competition. What is doing the competition from our product when you have a competition? Then we really need to know where is this competitor positioned with this product, but also what are they doing in terms of marketing? What are they doing in terms of sales? Where are they selling it? How are they selling it? So it's not only to know all the things about the product, the company, the marketing, the sales. It's also what they are not doing. So what they are not doing, this is a very good entry point for us to go in this direction. For instance, there I do the competitor analysis and find out there's a typical market segment that would be great and nobody's serving it. So I can grow my company in this field, right? It's the same with a typical marketing channel that is not used. I can spend and go there. If the people go there, there's no competitor. I got this customer. So this is great analysis. The competitor analysis, it takes a little bit of time. You don't have to do it all the time, but it's very good to find some new spots for your product growth. And uh, the next part of the context analysis, what it's a Actually, analysis that's around for 50 years, a pestle analysis, which looks around the external factors for what's going on right now in politics, economics, social, technology, legal environment. All the trends that are impacting the business environment. Correctly. What's going on in terms of legal? We have so many more legislation than 50 years ago. There are so many law, recycling things, and sustainability, saving energy that didn't exist 30, 40 years ago. So all these things, if we are not aware of them and we put our innovation into the market, it might be that somebody of the customers says, hey, you forgot to think about the recycling or we need this or there's a new law coming up and forget that. If you don't do that, then you're probably a competitor does it or somebody comes up with it and you need to make a lot of changes. And these changes are very expensive. It's not only expensive, but it takes your development people away because to have to amend the product, work on it, test it again and launch it again and communicate it. And you don't have the resources to work on a niche product. So that's very important part to do that upfront. Yeah. And then the th- third part is less work for the product manager than the first two parts. It is knowing what is your company doing. And it's really astonishing that half of the product managers that are in my master classes say they don't have a clarity on the strategy of the company. I, I, I say half is probably doing pretty well. So half is doing pretty well, but still half of them are struggling, right? right? And they are frustrated. They're really frustrated. Why is it? So they put a lot of work in. Let's say they do the customer interview. They do the competition. And whatever they do, if you don't know if the strategy is to be, we want to be number one in innovations. We want to be the number one in South American market, or we want to be number one who sustainable energy or reduce energy. And you present as a product manager your concept and it does not follow sustainability. And then the board says, hey, we cannot do it. 
because our strategy is in this other direction. So all the hours and work of many people is just wiped away. So it's better to know it upfront what is your mission strategy and also the competence of the company and then align the product strategy with it. Right. We need to understand those strategic objectives because now we have a target for what to work on that's aligned to those strategic objectives. And I've had the same experience. How many product managers don't know what they are from the organization? And sometimes they might go talk to the VP who is supposed to know and says, are you kidding? We talk about it all the time, but the information still isn't necessarily getting down. And there's other times where there's not clear strategic objectives. Yeah. So we need that foundation for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also this saves a lot of delays in innovation. If you have to do it again, all the research again and align it with the company and you waste a lot of weeks and months in this whole process. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one of the concepts you brought up in the presentation was, you know, the balance, the out of balance maybe between market data and using that to drive decisions and gut feeling by the senior people in charge. And I think that's one reason why we run into situations where there may not be strong strategic objectives so that there's room for the gut feelings, right? And occasionally there's the pet project that comes along that the CEO or someone says we have to do that's not really maybe supported by market data that we have at the time. Exactly. So the Coco method gives you the data that is requested by what I call the world-class decision makers. Right? In my presentation, I had this wonderful example of the client who gave me this brick of the, the business plan. Right, And when I read through that, and it's usually 20, 30 pages, but there are some clients who have 200 pages, which I call it's a feature list usually, <laughs> right? But so I went through the 60 pages and it sounded wonderful. You had the 60 million potential and you only put 4 millions in there. Wow, great. And who wouldn't love that, yeah. right? And then, but he was a little bit what I call a bird child because they had great innovations, but they had also 120 millions that they wasted because the product launches was not good, successful, right? They haven't had a good history with new products. So they were a little burnt, and that's why he came to me. And then I checked, again, the customer. I talked to them and made the market research and find out there's a potential for two customers with 24,000K and not 60 million. And said totally embarrassed but happily embarrassed and because we saved him four million absolutely and we saved him a lot of development time and good resources that he has spent on something else right so market-driven data is really my key point and i shared this in the beginning of the presentation that i learned that in my first lesson first strategic meeting that i had when i was in the sewing industry and I had a lot of data and I was researching and I had all my experience I put in my first innovation and what can we do and great ideas and spent a lot of weeks to back, up, back it up with data. But it was not data from the customer. So I did not spend a single minute on it because I was firefighting all the time, answering questions. So I didn't have time. Right. And actually that's wrong because I spent the time and was writing down my it was not 60 pages, it was probably 20 pages of business plan and backed it up with studies. It cost me time, a lot of time. I could have spent the same time with customers and get the real market situation. And that's really what I learned after this uh, meeting where I presented it and I failed the people. You know, 
all the decision leaders ask me questions and, well, I don't have these answers. And so I had to go back, do my homework, learn what I have to do. And that's why I invented several methods to get my data right. And this is also when I realized if you have the data, you cut all the decisions, the time for to make decisions, and we became 50-60% faster. Excellent. That's amazing. Yeah. But market-driven is a market data insights is absolutely necessary. And that's situations where a lot of product managers find themselves that are listening right now, right? Showing up at work, putting out fires all the time. Many of them know they want to spend more time with the customer, and there just isn't that time. Right? A lot of organizations, well, at least I should say a lot. Certainly some organizations I run into that the product managers feel like they're being only driven by sales. Right, It's the sales team has made these requests. That's what we're going to respond to, B2B context. And they never have time to uncover their own insights about the customer and the customer's problem. And that's what we're supposed to be doing as the product person, right? Is understanding what the customer's problem is and who the customer is. Correct. And we need to know that in the whole product life cycle. So it is a constant work that we should do. Yep. And there are many reasons why they don't, why they don't, right? And one is because sales is stronger than product manager. And they say, well, my customer here, another customer here, and then another salesperson says this. So who has priority? The one with the biggest lobby and standing, but not product management. And then the other one is they don't know how to do it. So they, they are shy to go out to a customer and say, do everything else where I feel comfortable, answer the question, do featureless. I've done it before. I'm an engineer. I do that. So there, this is one. Then the third one is that there is a belief. We know what the customer wants. Right. So you don't have to go out. You just stay in here. And nobody's there to explain the benefit if the product manager does it. Right. So there are some reasons why product managers don't go out. One is this firefighting that I think don't have time. And there's a lot of time. As I shared in my presentation, say yes to several things or the other way, turn it around. It's saying no to many things that really distracts you from your focus work. Could be private interruption, could be a colleague that comes around and asks me, where is it? And doing tasks that are out of your product manager role keeps you away from doing and focusing on what you should do, which is customer interviews. Right. And it's easy to raise the efficiency by 30%. Yeah. One of my tips for organizations that really feel like they're just responding to sales all the time is to try to help get the salespeople to the point where they'll, when they hear that feature, that this contract is on the line and the customer says, we really need the tulip feature, right? Or this is not a good deal. And that's what they're hearing. Um, and so they come back and share, we must implement the tulip feature, right? To win this contract and product management goes off and works on that without interaction with the customer. So my suggestion is let's help get our salespeople to say, as soon as they hear that feature request, say, Thank you for sharing that. I'm going to have Sarah follow up with you. Can I get your email address? And she's going to investigate this need for this feature more with you and try to just bridge immediately into Sarah, our product manager in this example, to understand why that's really needed. Because a lot of time we find out it's not really a feature that's needed. There's something else they're trying to get done. And they're thinking about maybe even a workaround in their head that this feature would solve. So I think that helps a lot with you know, interacting with the salespeople. That's a really wonderful day, way to do it. And this helps two people, sales to focus on sales yeah. instead of spending a time to deep into what is not his, his or her work. And it helps product manager 
to get, have the time with this person, dive deeper into the situation. And some, as you said, it's not always a feature. Yeah, excellent point. Okay, you also talked about lean practices, and lean's fundamentally about reducing waste. And you said a little bit earlier, right, having the right market data helps us to make the right decisions faster. We're cutting out some information. Do you have an, another example of this kind of improves innovation success, thinking about and using lean practices? Yes. It in, in lean innovation, you said market-driven is one thing and elimination is actually the first one for me in, in lean innovation. And one example that I brought, there are actually seven principles of elimination of waste. And uh, I can share that with your audience as well, if you wish. And so the example that I brought this morning was about a team. So one of the, I think, really biggest problems in product management and development is the waste of neglect the talents. What do I mean with this? Right, Nectar Talents has to do with team, with people. And usually the clients that come to me and they are you 80% coming from the high-tech manufacturing complex products, they lose a lot of money if they don't, don't do it right. So they try to figure out themselves and they are, what I say, they are operating or searching their processes and they're working on their tools and on the auger sometimes on the organization, but it is in within a team that you need to work on before you go into the processes. And what I mean by this is there are a lot of teams who are struggling with their roles and tasks that they spend a lot of time discussing and they do a decision and another person says, no, this decision is not right. That it's, it's a ping pong for and back and there's a lot of waste of time lots of meetings and emails discussion frustration until they get the decision done so this is really empowering the team by knowing what is their roles and tasks and responsibilities and then the next part is if you have this then we need the best person to do that not somebody that I have who would like to be promoted or I like this person and he should, he or she should do it. You really need the best person, person who is motivated, who is skilled, who would like to do that. And some of my students I see in my classes that come from engineer, go to product management and really don't want it, but they won't like to have a higher salary or reputation, or whatever, but they can't do it. So if you force this person, it's probably never the best role fit. So we try to find the best role fit in the product management organization. And what we know is if you have a person in the right place, then you are nine times faster. This is amazing. Hmm. It's like you have a professional or a beginner. It's also it's nine times better. And the third one is what I hear or see always is that in product management, we have a lot of software but actually there are five or eight software that we are using at Product Manage. But a lot of this is Word, Excel, PowerPoint, what we call hammer and chisel. If you go to accounting, they have wonderful tools. If you go to marketing, they have beautiful tools. If you go to development, great tools. And we work like the Neanderthals, right? And so what we try to find is what can we do without huge investment in technology? Because Sometimes they don't have the budget and want it because standing is not that good. But we find what is the best template, what are the best tools that we can facilitate your work with, speed it up. And the good thing is if we facilitate that 
in product management and give with these new templates and tools the information to development, marketing, sales, customer service, in that way that they have compound information, they all can work more efficient. Right. And I've seen that so many times that people say, thank you. I really got, for the first time, all the information I need, I can directly work. Yeah, That's wonderful. Yeah, it helps keep everyone on the same page. Right? Absolutely. I was talking earlier with someone else here at the conference about the sending the roadmap, sending the vision information out right as Excel spreadsheets. And you don't know quickly which version you're actually working from. Things change. You don't know if you have the latest version or not. And things get out of sync. Is there a tool suite that, that you have that you like? Or does it really change based on the client you're working with? I have a special tool for my product, which is product management dashboard, what I'm using, because it has a whole data flow from interview to development to marketing. So I actually don't need another one. If I need another one, I use Word. Yeah. Okay. So you have your tool to collect the information we've been talking about so far. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Makes good sense. Okay. And you mentioned there's, when it comes to lean innovation, there's seven ways to eliminate waste. Do you know where we can tell people to go find that resource? And if not now, I'll put it in the show notes later for them. Yeah. I don't have it as a you yet. Okay. Yeah. If it's one that we, you want us to put up later, that's fine. Uh, we'll, yeah. We have we'll just, time to March, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's easy. Okay. So we... Lean innovation helps us really eliminate a lot of wasted effort, focus where it makes the most difference. Constructing the team right from the beginning is a very important activity. And then using the right tools for us, keeping everyone on the same page. You also talked about secret behind Tesla's speed and profit, the 4P pyramid. And that sounds interesting. You want to take us through that? Yeah, Tesla is in Buffalo, where I live now. Tesla is around the corner and manufacturing that. And uh, Elon Musk is everywhere right now. And if you might like it, you might not like it, what he's saying on Twitter, but nobody can neglect. He is a great innovator. And I was analyzing what really makes a good innovator like, you know, Nike. Philips, Autodesk, they are always good in innovation. What is there? And Elon Musk and Tesla is doing a really a great job. So he is a newcomer as there are so many car manufacturers, US, Germany market, right? They did a great job, but now Elon Musk leaves them behind. So he is much quicker, but this is one of his principles. He would like to be very fast in innovation and innovation is for him is the product, the service and the parts, which I really is the first one as uh, the CEO that I've seen who talks about the whole product like this. That tells me something that he is really with his heart into it. It's got not only the car, it's everything around it. And what makes him so quick and all the other innovators and to be innovative like this and actually the profit on that is he is from different sources. What I read, it's four and a half times more than the other electric car manufacturer. That's, that's a pretty good amount, right? So I was looking into that and that's why I found out they, the successful innovators, they have this pyramid. I came up with this 4P pyramid. Okay. So if you, care about the problem in the market, right? If you care about, you would like to have a solution that helps the customer and this fact also the environment, you are successful. You are not doing anything. You do what is needed. And what makes he, what also makes he different with this product is he 
the next feature that he does, he tries to do it as quickly as possible. So he uses a lot of feedback scanners and try and makes small changes in which he can launch quickly. He's again faster than others. Instead of doing a whole launch in, launch in a year, he does it quickly. And then the second part of this pyramid is about the people talked a little bit about before. And Elon Musk says he needs people with motivated people, skilled people that can change throughout the project. And he need agile teams, but they need the knowledge. He would like to have people who really don't have to ask all the time, can I do that? Am I allowed that? Is that right? So he needs a team and that is self-independent to make decisions like it is in the agile world. And then the third part is to have slick processes, automated processes, get rid of this waste of tasks that do not add any value, like copy-paste of information, search information. Now, he automates this, whatever is possible, to make it happen that the team can work efficiently. So he has 25 apps for, for customer feedback, I'm not sure if this is efficient to have 25, but I'm sure he has automated it, so generated that he has a good output of that 25 is quite a lot in my eyes. But it says, it shows that he's doing it right. And if you care about the product, the people, and the process, then you have this profit. And that's why it's a four-peak pyramid. Very good. Okay. Yeah, you got to get the right people in the place to start with and equip them as a good team to do this. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, I know he has expectation for innovation. I've heard him talk about in the context of SpaceX that we will fire you if you don't innovate, right? It's one thing if you make a mistake, but if you're not innovating, then you don't belong here. And the, he makes it very clear that innovation is driving that organization. But I imagine it's the same for Tesla. I just haven't heard him talk about it in that context. Absolutely. And what I love about this video is that he says innovation is a risk and you have to allow mistakes. Right. And I really like that. So not even I say the, with the methods that I do, there's a likelihood you really in, enrich the likelihood for the success. But there, if you have a constant flow of innovation ideas that come from technology before you check it and develop it completely and go to the customer, there might be a likelihood that a little bit part of it is not going to the market. That's a risk. And if you punish your people for doing this, they are not doing it the second or the third time. And we have seen that. So the people said, I came up with my ideas. And then they say, hey, can you not bring something that is really going to market? And then they said, well, I'm, I'm not doing it anymore. And then that's a great point. You yeah. should be allowing mistakes. Yes. Yeah, that's part of Correct. It. Okay. Very good. Excellent information. I like the KuCoCo approach to help us remember customer context and company. Think about those things that you can include and if you have the right team in place and that the team is working well together. For people that want to find out more about the work that you do and other resources you have available, where's the best place to go? It would be redstringmethods.com. Okay redstringmethods.com. And then, of course, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's the best place. And also to reach out to me. And the third book is coming soon about the red string methods. Ah. You need to wait until 2023 in third, fourth quarter. Okay, but it's coming. That's excellent. 
Good. And I'll make sure those links are in the show notes to make it easier for listeners to find them as well. So thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you very much, Chad. It was a wonderful time with you and great question. Thank you very much. My pleasure. It was good information. And listeners, as a reminder, if you want a written summary of the discussion that we talked about, including that one-page action guide of key takeaways, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 425. Everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.